I remember when I was a little kid and I used to tell my mom, if you don't have money for it, just write a check, right? Um, now it's, it's different. Like if you don't have money for it, just use your credit card. In fact, it's ironic that we have the, the Monopoly. I, we, we have a version of Monopoly that is all credit card. No money. It's all a little electronic thing and a credit card and it keeps track of it for you and lets you know how much debt you have and when you go bankrupt. Credit cards are really good at that. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the D word. Um, last week we're, we're in this series on um, the ABCs of financial freedom. And so last week was A, and it was attitude. We wanted to talk about our attitude about money. And where we landed was we want to do God's things with God's stuff God's way. That's kind of where we want to, that's the attitude with which we should have, right? And so um, we, we talked about that. We also talked about the fact that we as a church are really bad at giving the money talk. We've proven that again and again and again. So that we're using other people's stuff for this, other people's material, and um, hopefully it's useful for you. Uh, <clears throat> today we're talking about the B of ABCs of financial freedom, which is bondage. So when we talk about debt, we're not talking about debt as a financial strategy, and that is a conversation to have. We're talking about debt as a form of bondage, something that keeps you stuck, okay? And that's where I would say 99% of people who have debt, they're in bondage to it. They don't understand how to use debt as a strategy, as a financial strategy. And so we're not even having that conversation. So if you're sitting here and you're like, but I know how to have debt as a strategy, you won't disagree with anything that I'm saying today. Um, because I don't believe that the Bible forbids debt. And some people will tell you that it does. Uh, but I don't think that's the case. What it does do with the debt is say, be very, very careful with how you use it. Because like many of the things in this life, whether it's alcohol or gambling or um, many of the things that we use in this life, if you're not careful with it, it will get the best of you. And debt is a subtle trap. It's a subtle trap. So we want to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to start with um, Deuteronomy chapter 28, and this is right at the end of uh, the people's wandering in the desert. Moses is basically handing them off to Joshua, and this is his final message. This is a piece of his final message to them. So let's read. And if you faithfully obey, you should probably, if you're taking notes, underline, circle, star, high exclamation point, that word. Because it doesn't matter what you know, what you espouse, what you agree to, what you mentally ascend to, that's not the issue. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today. How many of his commandments? Yeah, so even the ones you don't like, right? Like how you handle your money. You don't get to negotiate this. God said what to do with it, you do it or you don't. This is one of those concrete places and people want to fight about it. Like, stop it. Don't fight. Do what God says. It's weird how it works out. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. So the result of obedience is you're going to be blessed. You're going to be powerful. You're going to be important. You're going to have influence. This is going to happen. Why? We'll go back to the charge that God gave Abraham back when he made his first covenant with these Jewish people to begin with. The reason why God makes us great is so that we can be a blessing to all nations. 
That's why we're made great, so that we can bless all nations. That's our call. Uh, and all these blessings shall come upon, upon you and overtake you if you obey, there's that O word again, the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, uh, the fruit of your loom, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. I love that verse. You can come at me one way, but you're going to flee seven. Like, come on. The Lord will command the blessing on you and your barns and all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. Now, why does God make us great? And what do we show the world by being a blessing to them? Who our God is. All the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. That's why we do this. We do it to make his name great. It's not about padding your bank account. It's not about building your personal empire. And they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground. Within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you, the Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give you rain in your land in its season and bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Maybe you should underline that. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down. And if you obey the commandments of the Lord, there's that O word again, your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them, circle that word, and if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I commanded you today to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. So here's the idea. When we obey God, when we walk in his statutes, when we honor the commands that he's given us, we get set into a position of influence over the world. And this is how God's church should be. This is how God's church should act. We are, he calls us lenders and not borrowers. Like, we live in a world that is addicted to debt. And it's hard because we live in this world that invites us, like, all of advertising, all of it, is built on the premise that unless you have the thing that I am advertising, you are inadequate. And I don't want to wait three, four, five years to save up money to buy it. I want to have it now because I don't want to be inadequate for five years, right? This is the culture that we live in. Have it your way. You have it your way. You, you deserve, you, you deserve a break today. You 
You, you, look at you. Look at you and your deservedness. This is the world we live in. Like, we have instant everything. There are microwave instructions for Pop-Tarts. Like, three seconds. You get three, like, you need to have instructions for this. Three seconds. Three, you, you can't wait. Three, like, I, I don't have time. I, I'm going to have to eat it cold. We want instant everything. We want instant everything. And this is why debt plays on this premise. Why in the world would you save for a car when you could have it now and then pay for it three times in the process? Right? Like, that, car's, that car has a $10,000 price tag on it, but the problem is you're going to pay $30,000 for it. Right? Like, there's this reality of debt. But we live in this world that's addicted to it. Now, here's the problem with debt. If we were to wipe out everybody's debt, our country's economy would collapse because we have an economy built on debt. Now, we could then build it on things that are healthy, but we live in this world that's addicted to debt. And again, debt in and of itself is not evil. The problem is too many of us don't have a strategy for debt, and so we're in bondage to it. We use debt as a way to make life convenient, not as a way to financially get ahead. So you know this, you finance a car, you drive it off the lot. Before you've ever put a mile on it, it drops 20% in value. So now you're upside down on it, and now you're a slave to the lender. Does that make sense? Like this happens. This happens. This happens in the world that we live in because we're not thinking through. We're not leveraging God's, God's strategies for how we manage our finances. Debt kills us. It kills us. It kills us. Because we're addicted to it. Right? Now, I want to I look at this next verse. Let's, let's look at the next verse in your notes. Throw it up there. Yeah, Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything. Except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Like this, this, and by the way, what a lot of us do is we're like, well, like if you get into debt and you can't handle it, you have an out. Like you just file bankruptcy. Declare bankruptcy, right? Let me say this. As a Christian... Even if you declare bankruptcy, you are obligated before God to pay it back. That is a matter of integrity. You may get the creditors off your back, but God isn't. You are obligated before God to pay it back. And, I, and I'm not saying that if you filed bankruptcy, it was the, you're terrible. Some, for some people, like that's the option. They get so far upside down in their debt that that's the option. But you are still obligated to pay those debts back. And the day you do, the day you light on fire your last debt bill, that is a good day. I just want you to understand that if you're going to use debt as a strategy, you're going to have to be very careful because it's a subtle trap for us. It's a subtle trap for us. I remember when I... Uh, 1997, 1998, I bought my first house. And when we went to the bank, 
they would not allow us to have more than 35% debt to income ratio. What that means is for all the money that we brought in in a month, 30, no more than 35% of it could go to servicing our debt load. Now, they had no problem bringing us right up to 35%, right? We, man, we'll pre-approve you all the way up to that. But you couldn't do that. Here's the thing. Right before the, the um, market fell apart back in 2007, 8, 9, right in that window, you know, when everything kind of collapsed, I knew people that had 85 to 90% debt-to-income ratio. And I was like, how, how in the world? Before they ever bought groceries, before they ever, like, lived, had a, uh, paid the bills, the lights, like 85 to 90% of their income is going to serve as debt. That's being a slave. You are a slave to debt at that point. And so we've got to figure out how we can use God's strategy. So I want to give you seven statements, seven truths that will help you avoid slavery to debt. Okay? And this is important. Number one, the Bible doesn't forbid debt, but it does discourage it. There are two ways that we determine truth from the scriptures. One of them is clear, thus saith the Lord. Like God says this, don't murder. So murder's wrong, because God said don't murder, right? The other thing is what we call apostolic precedent. And that means, what do we see them doing with these truths that they're being taught? Well, we know that the Israelites made loans to one another with interest. So is that evil? No, it's not evil. You just got to be careful with it. The second thing that we know is that the Bible forbids charging interest to poor people. And so now immediately all of us are going, well, that, I'm poor. <laughs> well, then color me poor, right? Well, uh, you live in hashtag America. So no, you don't qualify. Um, let's go over to Ethiopia for a little bit, and we'll talk about poor. Um, Proverbs 22.7, it says this. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower slave to the lender. And that's true because the problem is the lender can call the note anytime they choose. Now, it's probably in their best financial interest if they don't because the longer that note goes, the more interest they make. They make more money on you the longer that goes. But let's say the, the bank gives you a loan and then all of a sudden they need to call that cash to give it to somebody else that's going to give them more money. They can do that. And the problem is we're, if we're not in a position to be able to pay it, then we're in trouble. That's why if you're upside down on debt, then it's really, really bad. So if you buy debt on either a depreciating asset like a car or if you buy debt where you're so overextended, you didn't buy it well, you didn't buy it cheaply, you didn't buy it at the right price. I mean, anybody who's made anything in sales, you know this. You always make money on a buy, not on a sell, right? You always make money on what you bought it for because that, that's where you get the deal, not on when you sell it because you can't always control that. But if you, if you in your buying got so overextended that you're upside down on your debt and they call the note, now you don't even have an asset to leverage to pay it off. You're just in trouble. 
Like a lot of people found that when the bottom fell out of the economy and the house prices depreciated and they couldn't sell their house for what they had into it. A house, which we consider, many Americans consider a house an asset. Some, some don't because assets don't take money out of your pocket. Pay that house off, it's still taking money out of your pocket, right? In all different ways, electric bill, taxes, those kinds of things. So you do with that what you will. But it, we had this investment asset of a house, and now we're upside down on it. We can't sell it, and we get laid off because jobs are going away. Like, that happened to a lot of folks. Why? Because they're slaves to debt. They didn't have a strategy for their debt. Okay? Number two, the longest term of debt in the Bible, seven years. I just want to throw this at you. Credit card companies do not want you to get out of debt. Because as soon as you get out of debt, they stop getting paid. They do not want you to get out of debt. That's why they make those minimum payments that are like 10 cents more than what the interest added to your payment. Right? So if you're making minimum payments on your credit cards, you're never going to pay them off. You're not, so if you're like, well, I, I want to pay my credit cards off. Okay, you can do that. You can but you've got to pay the minimums on all of them but one and then pony that one up as big as you can. Pay it off, then roll that, one to, roll that whole payment to the next one, right? We call this a snowball. Uh, then you start to gain momentum and you can make bigger chunks, but you can't be like, well, then the, the minimum payment on them is 100 bucks. I'm going to pay 110 on all of them. Well, it would be better for you if you had five credit cards and you were paying 110 bucks, it would be better for you to pay 150 bucks on one pay that one off and then pay that 100, now you're paying 250 on the next one and then 350 on the next one. Does that make sense? You, you start to gain, it's better to do it that way. You pay them off faster. Pay them off faster. Credit cards don't want you to get out of debt. It's weird. When you're out of debt, do you know what credit cards do? They send you these things, they're like, you're an incredible debt manager. We want you to have our credit card. You know why? Because you don't have a credit card. <laughs> You know why you think I'm a good debt manager? Because I don't have a credit card, <laughs> right? You get a credit card, it means maybe you're not the best debt manager, like you, unless you have a strategy for it. Like some people, if you get a credit card, get one that has airline miles on it. Use it to pay your bills off every month and then take it on vacation for free. Take your family on vacation for free. Do that, like, but have a strategy for it. Don't be a victim to it. Don't be a slave to it. Okay? This is what the Bible says. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he's lent to his neighbor. Every seven years. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. So if you have people that want to keep you in debt longer than seven years, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe that's a bad debt strategy. Number three. Jesus endorsed the use of leverage and using banks to gain wealth. Do you remember um, the parable of talents? Some, one guy was given five talents, one guy was given two talents, one guy was given one talent. Now, we use this over the years in, in uh, sermons to talk about people's abilities and how they serve the Lord and all that stuff. But don't ever forget that the parable is about money. The parable is about money. One guy, a talent is a sum of money equal to 20 years wages. 
So one guy was given 100 years wages, one guy was given 40 years wages, and one guy was given 20 years wages. And we often think that he was robbed. Like, oh, that was, any of you in here willing to take 20 years wages today? That'd be a pretty good check, size check, wouldn't it? So what we know is the landowner comes back and the guy who had five invested it, he leveraged his wealth and he got five more. The guy who had two leveraged his wealth and got two more. But the guy who had one buried it. Why? Because he was afraid. He said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, and I was afraid that you would take mine back with more. So here's what you gave me. The landowner looks at him and says, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew I was a hard man. Right? Look at this from Matthew chapter 25. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Like he says, at least, at least if you'd put it at the bank, I'd have gotten interest on it. And that's a, like, that's a, if you have no financial strategy at all, like I don't like handling money, I don't do anything good, put your money in a savings account. At least then you're getting a little bit of a rate of return, something. He's like, this is brilliant. If I get out of the ministry, I'm going into banking. Here's how banking works. I'm going to take your money, and I'm going to give it to somebody else, and I'm going to make money on that. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to, and I'll pay, I'll pay you 1%, 2%. You're like, oh, thank you so much for giving me something for nothing. Yeah, but I'm charging him 7%. Ha <laughs> ha. So I'm keeping five. Right? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Like, even if, you, I mean, if you have no other financial sense at all, you're like, I'm the worst person with money on the planet. At least put it in a savings account. Some sort of an interest-bearing account at a minimum. Uh, so he says, go take the talent for him, from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, be given more, and he will have an abundance. From the one, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast that worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? This is a bad deal. This is a bad deal. Leverage is the use of something else to gain an advantage. And Jesus talks a lot about leveraging your money to gain friends for yourself, using your money to gain things. That's not a problem as long as it's ethical. A bank or a mortgage company is leveraging, you can leverage them to get a house. They help you get a house. As long as you don't overextend your debt ratio, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I would say really, really work hard to not have uh, mortgage insurance. Never owe more than 80% loan to value because mortgage insurance is a farce. It is a way for banks to make money. Right? It's, you're just giving them more money. It's not an asset. Now, uh, put, putting money on deposit at a financial institution that'll pay you interest for doing nothing is really something. Like, at least do that. The group that financed this building, the Solomon Foundation, they're called a church extension fund. They function just like a bank. But where a bank will lend your money to whomever, uh, whoever qualifies for the loan, moral, immoral, good, bad, doesn't matter, a church extension fund will only lend your money 
in places where it advances the kingdom. So they lend money to churches, those kinds of things. This is what they do. They, they have an excellent rate of return of interest, especially in today's world where interest rates are so low, even a savings account really isn't worth it. Really isn't worth it. Like a, a whole term life insurance plan would be better than a savings account even possibly. Like there's options for that. I'm not a financial planner, but those are, there's ways to just put it in, a, just put it in an interest bearing account. Go talk to financial planners. They can help you. They can help you with that. Okay, next, next one. Number four, if you're in debt, it affects everything you do. And that's just a reality, right? Like, your, your attitude in life in general is affected by debt. Do you have the freedom to give or do you need to hold back? See, the, when you have somebody that asks for money and, and we live in a community that is fundraised to death, right, between the universities and all the schools and everybody's fundraising for everything, club sports, and it's just crazy. Uh, baseball and, and they're all selling bread twists. Like they, they wanted the wrestling team, the wrestling team, which is all about weight management, to sell bread twists and cookie dough rolls. I was like, really? How do you? That is so hip, hypocritical. Here, could you get fat while giving me money? Would you be able to do that? Like, that's so, so hypocritical. I'm all, I love me a good bread twist, but not during wrestling season. Um, do like when we're hit and you will get asked, you will get asked. Do we feel like, yeah, I have the freedom to give, I have the freedom to give because I don't have anything else to put my money to or oh, I got to save my money because I got to pay my bills this month. I don't have enough money to pay all my debts. Like where, where do you land on that? Number five, co-signing isn't a sin, but it isn't smart. If the bank says that this person is not good to pay a loan back, you need to pay attention to that. <laughs> Just a lot of people with good intentions get themselves into really bad financial positions because they co-sign for somebody that is never going to pay a loan back. And now my reputation is on the line for them, right? Now, it doesn't mean it's evil. It's not a sin, Right? Sometimes it's right. For example, my daughter, who is now 20, when she uh, wanted to get her first car, she found a great deal on it. Um, and she went and she needed a car loan. And it, she didn't have the credit to get even a small car loan. And so we co-signed for her. It wasn't a killer. If she went and didn't pay for it, number one, I'd kill her. Number two... Um, <laughs> I have leverage in the relationship to get her to pay, right? Num number three, it wasn't something that we couldn't take on personally. Like, we could take on that debt personally if we need to. And, you know, if she, if she ever didn't pay, I'd call her and say, hey, um, go ahead and drop the car off for one of your brothers. Because <laughs> it's now mine. It's now mine. We'll take it over. But she's been great. She's super responsible. Um, so she hasn't, been, she hasn't had any trouble with that. But that's something that was a situation where it was okay for us because of the relationship and because of the debt amount, it was okay for us to co-sign. But co-signing as a rule isn't smart because it puts you in a tough, tough position. The notes that they gave us to present this stuff with said co-signing isn't a sin, but it's stupid. I was like, I can't say that. Too, that's mean. I said that. I said that. 
That's mean. I can't say that. It's too harsh. Do you see how the Spirit's working in my heart? I just want to... This is spiritual growth for me. This is spiritual growth for me. Proverbs 6 says this. My son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come to the, into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Like if you're in a position where you gave a pledge of good conscience for a person and they turned, they made you regret it, you've got to go deal with that. So if you're not good at having that conversation with people, which I would say probably none of us are, then don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't do that. Proverbs 22, 26, and 27. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who puts up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from, taken from under you? So if you're putting up your money for somebody else's debt and they go debunked on it, then they take your stuff. So he says, number six, if you're in debt, you should get out as quickly as possible. This is a good general truth, right? If you're in debt, you should get out as quickly as possible. Look at Psalm 37. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Now, here's the question. When we're in debt and we want to get out of debt, should we put all our money towards giving out of debt or should we give to the Lord? That is a false choice. And I want to be really clear about that. You should do God's things with God's stuff God's way. If you got into debt, you don't stop giving to the Lord to get out because it's all his. It's all his. You never have to choose between those two things. It's not, that's not a right choice, not at all. And by the way, when you're getting out of debt, when you're committed to getting out of debt, do you want God's blessing in your finances so he can help you a little bit along the way? Absolutely you do. You stop giving to him, you remove his blessing from your finances. I have people that tell me this all the time. I'm too, I'm too poor to give. Here's the truth. I'm too poor not to give. Because if God ever took his blessing out of our finances, I'd be up a creek. Right? Like, when we were first married, my wife and I were first married, this is true. We had, we made $683 a month. Both of us working, going to college, made $683 a month. Our bills were $717 every month. And we gave to the Lord first and did not go into debt. That's God math. That's God math. And it happens. Now, we didn't get rich. We weren't driving fancy cars. Like, I, we lived in a double-wide trailer, and I drove a 1984 Dodge Omni. But it didn't break down. Do you trust the Lord with that? Look at Psalm 37. Quick, we got to run. I've been young and now I'm old. Boy, I can relate. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He's ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Do you trust him? Last statement. 
God's plan is for us to be lenders, not borrowers. The, do, you, do you see the, the, the mental what that that does when you're like, no, I could be a lender. Like that's a, I'm not, I'm not dependent on other people lending to me. I could be the lender. I could be the one who's making money. Remember what he said in Deuteronomy 28, all the way back to the beginning. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, and give the rain to you, in, to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Like, that's God's intent for us. That's God's intent for us, that we be the lenders. Why? Because God wants us to lead the way. As his people, he wants us to lead the way in all things. Truth, spiritual well-being, emotional health, yes. But financially, culturally, all things. God wants his people to lead the way in all things. So why wouldn't we be the lenders? It's a problem with that. And then, if somebody was poor and needed it, then you'd have the freedom to just give it. Because that advances the kingdom too. Like we got to get right with our debt because for too many of us, we're in bondage to it. We're in bondage to it. Uh, and for those of you that are college students here, I don't know who you are, who's going, who's not going, I don't know, but here's what I want to say. You're going to come out of college with 100 grand in student loan debt if you're not careful. Yes. And you're going to be paying on it when you're 50. Because we either, either we don't want to have a job and go to class or because we have a job and we go to class, but we don't want that job money to go towards our school bill. We want that job money to go towards a car or an apartment or whatever. I don't even want to talk about what other things you put it there because we're in church. I don't know. I'm glad you're here. If that's true and you put your money there, I'm glad you're here. But here's what I want to say. You do not, no matter what your financial advisors tell you, you do not have to go into debt to get an education. You do not. That is a lie. And if you're not careful, you're going to be paying for it way too long. Now, you got to be willing to stinking work. But you're young. You got nothing but energy. Work 50 or 60 hours a week. It won't hurt you. You know what I've learned? <laughs> Hard work never hurt anybody. Like, learn how the world actually functions. Get a job. It'll be the best thing you ever did for yourself. We're going to move towards the Lord's table. And so for those of you that are new with us, we have... Um, an open table, and that means that anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake. But we want you to hold the elements till the end, and we'll take them all together. As they're passing that out, we're going to work through some implications. And, and to enter into our implications, I want to start with this Psalm verse out of Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Listen to that. 
No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you believe that? Does your giving show it? Because see, there's this foundational question that we have to wrestle with. Do I believe that God is holding out on me? Or do I believe that God's given me everything that I need to succeed? Here's what I can tell you again and again and again. What, what people bear out is money is not a money problem. It never has been. It's a spiritual problem. This is something that's, I mean, it's, it's a spirit, it's a thing, but do I trust that God's principles are right and good and am I willing to adjust my life, my desires, my agenda to that? Or do I think I can improve on God's plan? Which, by the way, works out exactly 0% of the time. So our first implication is simply this. God wants his people to be financially responsible. Would you agree with that? God wants his people to be financially responsible. He wants that. One of the evidences that the spirit is working in your life, right? You know this, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. God wants his people to have self-control. He wants his people to be financially responsible. Number two, next implication. Debt is a reality of life, but it should be for the shortest amount of time and for the lowest amount of interest. And what I can tell you is a credit card is never gonna give you either of those things. Credit cards are, they're the devil, Bobby. They they are bad news. If you're gonna have a credit card, make sure you get one that gives you some sort of an effective rewards program, whether that's frequent flyer miles or something like that. Um, do something with your credit card. Don't, don't just, the, the best option is just cut them up. Just cut them up. Next one. Anytime we're in debt, we are not completely free to use our money in ways that honor God. And by the way, that's true even if you're using debt as a strategy. Anytime that you're in debt, you're not completely free to, honor, to use your money in ways that honor the Lord because you're obligated to use some of your money to pay off debts. Now, that doesn't make debt evil. It just means you have to understand, the, like how many of us would love to be able to finance the ending of child sex trafficking? Do you understand that if God's people we're just out of debt. We could. And so at some level, we have to come to terms with the fact that sin exists in the world because we chase our immediate gratification through debt. They know that. That's not a game. That's reality. What we could do to change the world if God's people just weren't in debt Next one, God will help you get out of debt if you're committed to the process. He will. And I love that, that God's so faithful. The question is, am I willing to make the long play, right? Seven years feels like an eternity for us, even though in reality, seven years isn't that long. For those of you that have kids that are seven years old or older, look back over the last seven years and go, like, 
Minutes move by slow, years go by really fast, right? You can do that. You can do it. You can get out of debt. And if you're committed to the seven-year play, maybe you're like, I can't get out in seven. I can get out in 10. Okay, make it a 10-year play. The truth is, it's the rest of your life. You don't get out of debt and go, yay, look, I don't have to manage my money anymore. If you're willing to be disciplined, I promise you, God, I promise you because God says he will, God will bless you in that process. He'll help you. Now, he may not help you with extra money to pay off debt faster. He may help you with shoes that don't wear out and clothes that don't get holes. Or clothes that have holes, but you can still wear them. It's fashionable. It's fashionable in today's world. Maybe that's how he helps you. I don't know. But what I can tell you is God promises that he will help you in the process. Are you willing to take him at his word? What I also know is if we're going to make this debt play a reality, then what has to happen is we're going to have to lay our own life, our own agenda, our own desires down. It it reminds us, it pulls us right back into communion again that Jesus models for us what success in this is going to look like. It's not going to look like us pressing our own rights and our own desires and our own wants. It's going to look like us laying our life down and doing the right thing the right way the right time. This reminds us that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you. And Lord, I just want to um, ask you through your spirit to convict us in areas where we need to pull our finances into better control. Lord, thank you for um, the ways that you blessed us and thank you for the ways that you're so faithful. Help us to have the courage and the determination to live out this idea of stewarding our resources correctly. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.